Morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast. Happy Friday, everybody. I hope y'all are having an amazing fantabulous Friday. We're going to have a bonus episode coming out a little bit later. It probably is out by the time most of you are listening to this, but if not, be on the lookout for another bonus episode here. But for our Friday episode, we had an amazing conversation with a new friend of the show, Sabrina Merchant. She is a writer for SB Nation who covers the Los Angeles Clippers, the Los Angeles Sparks, the Los Angeles Lakers, and the Los Angeles Kings. You can support Sabrina's work with the link in the bot or link in the description of today's episode. Sabrina and I pretty much covered most of the NBA pretty well, but I did promise that we would get through most of the NBA and we would be able to every night recap what's going on. Even though I do kind of hate those shows, it is a week that everything matters because the seedings change so much. And so, I also just want an excuse to play this amazing music. I am feeling myself right now for one reason that came down on Thursday, and that is the fact that the Philadelphia 76ers, who were locked into the number one seed, are now throwing away their chances at the number one seed. With two games left in the season for them, two games left for the Brooklyn Nets, the 76ers are one game ahead of Brooklyn. I have no idea who wins the tiebreaker between the two, so there is a scenario where Brooklyn all could be written right in the NBA world, and Brooklyn can end up with the number one seed in the East. Hawks and Heat both win, so Hawks stay four, Heat stay five. New York Knicks beat the Spurs, so all three of those teams keep pace. And we talked about this on the radio show that, you know, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Atlanta, Miami, the Knicks, all those teams that actually it really matters right now. Same thing with the Clippers, Nuggets, Trailblazers, Mavericks, Lakers, Warriors, Grizzlies. All of them are on crazy win streaks right now because these games matter so much to them at the end of the season. And they're trying and teams at the top maybe aren't. Although the Blazers, as we say this, are losing to the Suns. So check in and see how that one ends. Because at post time here tonight, the Suns were up nine with seven minutes left. So if we assume the Suns win, that would mean that the Mavericks jump to five, Blazers fall to six, and there's a scenario where the Lakers can jump them tomorrow. Well, today, when you're listening to this, when, oh no, tomorrow when you're listening to this, because the Lakers don't play again until Saturday. So it would be until Saturday when the Lakers were to play again, because they've got a double off day in there. So double entendre right there. Uh, Phoenix Suns, they get one more against the Blazers. I don't think they're going to catch the Jazz, but it does keep them away from the Clippers. So Suns will lock into the two. Jazz will lock into the one. Clippers and Nuggets both win to keep ahead of each other. Clippers three, Nuggets four. Uh, So we'll wait and see if that one has a flip-flop in the next couple days. Well, I guess we'll check in on Sunday and see how it is. And then, of course, the Blazers swap with the Mavericks. Keep an eye on that Blazers-Mavericks-Lakers because it's getting really interesting, even if it looks like 
increasingly so that the Lakers are probably going to end up in the bottom of the play in round or at least of the three way battle and end up having to play the Warriors in an epic play in round game on either Tuesday or Wednesday of next week. All right. Now for the rest of the NBA playoff implications and series and all kinds of fun stuff. Let's chat with our new friend of the show, Sabrina Merchant, writer for SB Nation. (sighs) Support for the Take It Easy podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide, and today we have an exclusive offer for our listeners. 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code TIE, that's T-I-E, at manscaped.com. Manscaped hooked me up with a bunch of tools and formulations from their Perfect Package 3.0 kit, including the best ball hair trimmer ever, the Lawn Mower 3.0. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TIE, T-I-E, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code TIE. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Brina Merchant is here on the Take It Easy podcast. And since you're a new friend of the show, you want to just like explain all the cool stuff that you're doing? Yeah. So I work for SB Nation and I cover the Clippers, Kings, a little bit of the Lakers and the Sparks. Um, basically, if you're a professional basketball team in the state of California, I've probably written about you at some point over the last couple of years. Okay. So what's the percentage on this? Cause I feel like there's always a lot to write about the Kings, but just none of it is important. I'm, uh, I'm from SoCal and now I live in Sacramento. Mm. So there's always stuff to talk about with the Kings, but none of it is ever exciting because they're now the new Knicks. Now that the Knicks are good, which is just the worst team in the league. That's actually trying to win. <laughs> um, I would say that about 50% of my time goes to the Clippers and Let's see. Um, I mean, like during WNBA season, obviously, like the Sparks percentage bumps up a little bit. Yeah, because WNBA is in a different season usually than the NBA. It's weird this year because of COVID and the season being pushed back a month, but usually they're in different seasons. Right. So, yeah, I'd say like 50% um, Clippers, then like 30-20 with Kings Lakers. All right. All right. That's You know what? That seems like a fair way to describe because the Lakers – now get infinitely more interesting and they also get a lot of coverage but I'm always fascinated by the Clippers mostly because of Kawhi and the fact that now we've just been waiting like a year for them to show up again and just wait for the playoffs so everything's going crazy right now there so what do you have like in terms of like you're watching the Clippers right now and you think this team will get to blank in the playoffs at this point Getting right to the point. I like it. Um, (laughs) Right now. Yeah. It's interesting for that because the Clippers are just kind of the whole regular season. I'm just like, wait for the playoffs, wait for the playoffs, wait for the playoffs. Now they're finally here and they might be the three. They might be the four, might be the two. Everything's just weird right now. Yeah. I I still think that 
you know, uh, the LA teams are the best teams in the Western Conference when fully healthy, which admittedly is not the state that really anyone is entering the playoffs in. And the Clippers are much closer to that ideal than, you know, the other teams in the West. So, you know, I, I always think that the Clippers should be getting to the Western Conference Finals, but until they do, it's really hard to say that they will. Uh, but the bracket seems to be lining up pretty nicely for them. So, yeah, I, I think the Clippers really should get to the Finals this year. Ooh, okay. So the Clippers – by the way, did you watch the Laker game yesterday? I did. I did. Um, it's charitable to call it a game, but uh... – <laughs> I was about to say the same thing because that roster, like if you look at it, because it, Anthony Davis and LeBron weren't playing for people who don't know. It's just – the lineup is atrocious for the Lakers at this point. It's Ben McLemore getting significant minutes, and I didn't even know that he was on the Lakers. I would have thought he was on the Rockets still. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny because the Rockets, like to me, their roster is the far more interesting thing because with the Rockets played the Lakers in the playoffs last year, and the only player from that Rockets team to take the court last night was Ben McLemore, and that was for the Lakers. <laughs> That's amazing. Rock, I like to laugh at the Rockets because if you would have told me last year who's the first person who's going to get cut by the Rockets, I would have said, or like moved off the Rockets, it would have been Daniel, Daniel, Daniel House. House because he got thrown out of the bubble. Mm-hmm. And he's the only one left. They traded yep. everyone except <laughs> him, and he's the only one left now. He really must have tanked his value. I, I, it has to be like he, I mean, now they just told him like, Hey, just go home. Like mm-hmm. you, you can just finish the season at home. Just work out. They're, they're Al Horfording him where they're just like, we're going to pay you. Just go away, please. <laughs> yeah. The, the Al Horford thing is so, so weird to me. Like we make this big fuss about, you know, Blake Griffin being sent home and Andre Drummond being sent home and Al Horford just gets, you know, locked up with two years left on his contract. And it's like, ah, oh, <laughs> the thunder, aren't they funny? Well, it's probably going to be like this year plus two more because I think he has a player option for the fourth year. And you think Al Horford's going to turn down $27 million? (laughs) I would not. (laughs) No, especially if you're Al Horford at this point where he he cashed in big time at the end there. But yeah, people don't realize like they they're like, we don't want to play you. We want to Andre Drummond you, but you have three years left in your contract and we can't afford to to buy you out. So we're just going to have you go away at this point so we can get a top pick and maybe get two top five picks if the lottery goes right for them. Yeah. I mean, I think that the play-in and the flattening lottery odds have done a really good job of preventing tanking for the most part, but you know, there's still some stragglers and uh, of course. Yeah. Cause they're the only way to like get rid of tanking altogether is to make it so that worse records don't get top picks, but they're doing the best they can to like limit the rewards for tanking. Cause the Rockets Absolutely. and Timberwolves are, the Rockets and Timberwolves are just praying for dear life that they can get one of those top four picks so they don't lose their draft pick and stay another half decade of irrelevant. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough place to be at the bottom of the league, and uh, thankfully the LA teams are no longer there. Yeah, that's the funny thing for me, is that I grew up on the baby Lakers, and then I stopped rooting for them right when they started getting good. And so I'm like, I didn't really choose very well in terms of basketball fandoms, where (laughs) the Lakers sucked forever. And if I have an adopted team now, it's the Kings, because they're the local team. I'm like, Mm. I have not chosen my fandoms very well in terms of basketball. (laughs) 
I don't know. I, I have high hopes for the Kings moving forward, um, which are probably misguided given. Well, the, I was about to say, but because of what? <laughs> yeah. Because of I just, Fox. I really like Halliburton. I really like De'Aaron Fox. Um, you know, they've, they've got a lot of players that I really enjoy. They just don't seem to work together. And I can't figure out if that's because the coaching is terrible, if there's just something in the water in Sacramento. But, you know, looking at like a guy like Bogey thrive in Atlanta and like there's, there's something good happening there. They just gotta, just gotta figure it out. Well, the thing I always laugh at with them is just, do you know how hard it is to go 15 years without making the playoffs in the NBA? More than half the teams make the playoffs. It's insane. Yeah, it's it's literally it's so hard to mess up that bad. And I love the thing we always joke about is that you can build the all Kings team of drafted one or two picks before this or after the Sacramento Kings, like who the Kings passed up on. It's like Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Luka Doncic. Um, you've got there's yeah, another the, guard. The Luka one is going to sting for some time. Yeah, that one's good. But it's the perfect setting because until this year, who were the two teams that hadn't made the playoffs this decade in the NBA? It was the, the Suns, Suns and the Kings. Kings. Yeah. And who are the two teams that passed on Luka? The Suns and the Kings. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the time, like there was there was a justification for DeAndre Ayton, you know, like. Oh, yeah, for sure. A local guy, you know, you, you at some point you got to have a center and a man your defense. I get it. I don't think it was the right pick, especially when you've just hired Igor Kokoshkov, but like there is rationale there. As someone who oh, went I, it to Duke, still worked out. There is I mean, no rationale for Marvin Bagley. <laughs> no, Marvin Bagley. Oh, that's right. You're a Duke person also. Yeah. yeah. I get I I can make Duke jokes too. But yeah, that one is uh that's gonna sting for a while. But the eight and one, like it's worked out. Like he's the third best player on a team that in a full season would have won 55 games, maybe 55, right. 60 games. So it's kind of worked out. The eight and one is just not Luka Doncic. Exactly. Yeah. You can at least justify that one a little bit, which for the, the Suns, that's another thing is just, does anyone trust the Suns at all at this point? Assuming that they're also going to have to play either the Lakers or Warriors in the first, or maybe the Blazers in the first playing game. I don't think anyone really trusts the Suns at this point. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I know that most Laker fans are, like, pretty okay with having to play the Suns in the first round if it comes to that point, like, relative to the Clippers, at least. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's, like, a they haven't done it yet, so we're just going to treat them as playoff neophytes until they have a chance to show themselves, like, you know what they can do in the postseason, or if it's just we're still perennially underwriting Chris Paul, but... <laughs> I do think that among like the top four in the West, that's probably the team that gets the least respect. Yeah, I think that's well, if you're if people who know this podcast know that I keep shitting on the Utah Jazz, even though (laughs) even though they've been good this year, like very, I think very popular stance to take. (laughs) Yeah, I think eight deep, they're probably the best team in the league. But the thing I laugh at is like, put those two best players against the Lakers, two best players. And it's like the diet Lakers. Like if you have Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell against Anthony Davis and LeBron James, then you, you're not going to have much of a chance, but I do like Utah's eight deep, but I do, I crush them a lot and I crush the Suns too. But the Suns thing is like, yeah, they have Chris Paul, but I think if I remember correctly, I think Chris Paul and Jay Crowder are the only players on that team that have actually like played a game of playoff basketball. I'm sure like Frank Kaminsky is in there, you know, from like a couple Charlotte round <laughs> Oh my God, that's right. Frank Kaminsky. Maybe, still uh, around maybe there. campaign like 
got dusted off in an Oklahoma City playoff game. But yeah, as far as meaningful playoff experience, I believe you are spot on with the Chris Paul, Jay Crowder. I think that's it. And Jay Crowder was, well, people forget that like he was like the third best player on the team in the finals last year because Bam got hurt and mm-hmm. then Goran got hurt and then Tyler Hero kind of stunk it up a bit in the finals. But yeah, Jay, Jay Crowder is not necessarily the go-to playoff experience you're looking for, which I think there is, I think history kind of reveals that there is kind of some truth to that idea of like needing the playoff experience a little bit or like paying your dues. Like it's, it's superstitial in a little bit. Like there's nothing that says you can't do it, but a lot of NBA history suggests like, yeah, usually teams don't go from never playing in the playoffs to immediately going to the finals or the conference finals. Yeah. I mean, like you think about even the Warriors when they had their run um, from 15 to 19, like they had that those first couple of years of just getting their feet wet in the playoffs that first season when they played Denver and then got into San Antonio. And then even when they had to play the Clippers, like they're, I do believe that there are building blocks that teams have to go to. And like, you don't just go from nothing to winning a title. Like, I mean, obviously the Lakers did last year, but they had LeBron who just defies. Yeah. I was sort about of to say LeBron, you had LeBron. It's not the Lakers part. It's the LeBron part. It's like, the LeBron. And also, yeah. And Anthony Davis did win a playoff series. So I think it's the players more than the team itself. Like, I think of like the Bucks were like, yeah, they were like the eight seed with what was uh was Jason Kidd the coach before Budenholzer? Right. Or there's someone in between. Jason okay. Kidd, yeah. Yeah. So they like they were like a seven or an eight that just got swept by like the Celtics or something. But like they were the one seed and then lost in the conference finals, then lost in the second round. And now this year, who knows what it's gonna be for them? Nuggets, Jokic's first playoffs. They lost a game seven to CJ McCollum, who had like him and Dame had been a few times before that. So there's some weird there's some weird things to that, which again, nothing says that they can't do it. I just I trust Portland. I even trust Portland over Phoenix as much as I trust like obviously the Lakers to beat Phoenix in the first round. I have literally zero faith in Portland. Um, wow. I just don't believe that they can play good enough defense to even win one round in the West. Oh, that is a that is a really fair point. Because I was looking that up for the Nets. I was like where are the Nets rated defensively? And they're worse than every team except the six tanking teams in Portland. I was like, what happened to Portland? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess like a lot of it is, you know, Nurkic misses time. But like when Nurkic misses time, there is literally no good defensive personnel on this roster. Well, they have Robert Covington, but they're just like grossly misusing Robert Covington Correct. right he now. He should not be an isolation defender. Yeah. And also just not a focal. They're Trevor ariza him and he's not like he's better than Trevor Ariza, but they're just putting him in the Ariza spot. That's a little frustrating. But yeah, I, I don't I mean, yeah, I guess the defensive part is like, yeah, if you're going to beat teams 135 to 130, your chances aren't great. Yeah, correct. <laughs> I under, I get that point now that I think about it. Yeah, probably. I'm probably disrespecting the Suns a little too much to say that one because you're right. Portland does really have problems on defense. Yeah, I think, um, you know, they're probably hoping to get to that fifth seed so they can play Denver because I do believe that Denver is the, the best matchup for them. But even then, like, they haven't beaten Denver at all this season. So Yeah, I guess, Port- I guess Portland is kind of just like hanging around. But they are going to probably fire Terry Stotts, which gets me a little bit excited, mostly because... 
I've been saying for years, like Portland just needs to go all in and just try and maximize the window. When Anthony Davis became available, I'm like, trade CJ and all your draft picks and get Anthony Davis. When Harden was available, I'm like, just sell the house and build a team around Harden and Damian Lillard. And now that they're firing Stotts and like him, Dame and CJ have been together for like nine years. I'm like, oh, they might be finally ready to go all in instead of their GM who got an extension through 23. I'm like, he's still going to have Dame and CJ in 23. But yeah, I think that they're finally ready to go all in maybe. That makes yeah, me I just wonder if they will ever have enough, um, you know, on the wing with the way their team is built. Like I thought that they had something good going with Gary Trent. And then they just like traded that in for another small guard in Norman Powell. And don't get me wrong. I love Norman Powell. His game is a ton of fun, but it does appear very, redundant on the team they already have yeah that i just portland's roster construction is always how can we get the most talent into one place i feel like they don't necessarily have a roster construction it's just we know we have these two guards let's how just can get good dudes on the team yeah yeah exactly just put the most talent possible around those two and i mean it works until you can't get anyone else because 70 percent of your salary cap is going to those two players and then Nurkic is Nurkic's actually I think on a pretty good deal I don't remember yeah exactly he's on a good was. deal it's like four or 64 or something it's it's pretty good yeah given what like Capella and Steven Adams are going for which both of them I think the Celtics need to go get I've been saying that for years but like given what their contracts are it's not bad for Nurkic I would agree yeah so Portland's there what about Dallas, I guess? I haven't talked much about Dallas, mostly because I'm like, I know Luca's really good, but Porzingis isn't quite what they thought he was going to be. So I kind of just think of Dallas not even in like that second round exit. Like Dallas is just, I've had them the whole time as like they're one of those teams that's going to lose in four or five in a first round series. But now they're the five seed. I'm like, well, I mean, Dallas is doing something right. I think they might actually be the six now because Portland has the tiebreaker. But Exactly. Um, I like Dallas a lot. I think they played the Clippers really well a year ago, and that was without Kristaps Porzingis available. So it, you know, bodes well for them being at full strength. And, you know, I, I think they could actually give the Clippers probably a seven-game series. I think that's the current matchup in the 3-6. Uh, it does suck for the Mavericks because, once again, um, I thought that they probably could have beaten the Nuggets or the Jazz or, like, who was the four last year? Like, you know, uh, OKC had they landed in a better yeah. spot, but they landed with the Clippers, who are just a very difficult matchup for them because there's so many bodies that you can throw at Luka Doncic. But they did take two out of three from the Clippers this year. You know, one of them was at 50-point spanking at the start of the season. So I'm not sure how much <laughs> we can read into that. But you can never, never read into a 50 point spanking like that yeah. has any that you can't learn anything from those. There is games. no predictive value. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like Dallas quite a bit. I think if you had them against Denver, I might even consider them the favorites in that matchup. Um, I don't think they're going to fall into the play in. So you don't really have to worry about how they match up with Utah and Phoenix. But like, yeah, you, you put them against Denver and that's that's a matchup I think the Mavericks could win. And it sets up a scenario that I'm like dreading where either Utah, Denver, or Dallas is going to make the conference finals, even though I do feel like the Clippers and Lakers are very much the two best teams. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that it is, you know, increasingly likely that we're going to get this LA, LA matchup. Um, so, you know, if that happens in the conference semifinals, if it happens in the conference finals, if it happens in the first round, you know, 
so be it. But I think it's just like past time that it actually happens. There's been just so much like smoke leading up to it. We just need to get this done. <laughs> well, the exact, well, I say the exact same thing. Cause I was kind of mad last year when it didn't work out. Cause I I'm also the person who saw the 2019 Eastern conference finals and just said to myself, Giannis Kawhi is the new LeBron KD and now they like never play each other anymore but (laughs) I'm like I I want that matchup I want to see the Bucks make it out of the east I want to see the Clippers make it out of the west and I want to see that epic duel in the finals between Giannis and Kawhi and Kawhi and the Clippers didn't hold up their end well I guess the Bucks didn't hold up their end of the bargain yeah neither of them did they lost in the same round (laughs) yeah I kind of forgot about that but Giannis got hurt I still I still am like holding on to the notion that had Giannis stayed healthy they would have come back and won that series I'm just I'm gonna lie to myself and say that forever that the Bucks would have won that series had Giannis not gotten hurt I have good feelings about Milwaukee this year um I quite enjoyed the way that they handled the Nets during that double a couple weeks back I think they're, you know, have a lot more lineup flexibility with PJ Tucker and Drew Holiday is just such a freaking substantial upgrade over Eric Bledsoe. It's like not even close. That's something I can't figure out. What the hell happened to Eric Bledsoe? Like it was like overnight. He just got hurt and then just couldn't play basketball anymore and couldn't shoot. I just don't understand what happened. And what's funny is he kept like logging pretty good regular seasons for the Bucks before just completely tanking in the playoffs. Like the whole Drew Bledsoe, Eric Bledsoe thing that the Celtics were doing to him and Terry Rozier. I mean, just a complete dichotomy between the regular season and postseason versions of him. And I know Milwaukee had to play a really high price to get Holiday, but I do believe that it was worth it. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, Milwaukee and Brooklyn feel like the two best teams in the East. And like with the Lakers Clippers, they're probably going to meet in the second round. Mm -hmm. But I think the Drew Holiday thing is going to matter. One, because of the defense, but two, Drew Holiday can kind of create his own shot when he needs to. And that's something that obviously they lack with Giannis because Giannis is just, how can I drive to the lane and then be bigger and taller and faster than everyone else? And, you know, it came to a point where it's like, hey, Middleton, we need you to create your own shot and go for 40 so we can beat Miami in overtime. So yeah, I, I think that's part of the good thing for the Bucks is, Holiday gives you the things that you were kind of lacking last year, not just with Bledsoe, but then not having Bledsoe at all in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> the greatest move I, I could think, like just match made in heaven move with PJ Tucker going to the box. It's just the most match made in heaven trade at the deadline was like, please let PJ Tucker go to the box. I was saying that back in January, please let PJ Tucker end up on the box. It's just perfect. Absolutely. It's a really, really good fit. You know, he just gets to camp out in the corners and hit the shots that James Harden was already creating for him. And uh, it just makes them so much more switchable. If you have those lineups where you can't play Brooke Lopez, but then you still have Brooke, you know, like when you potentially have to go up against the Sixers. I I like a lot of what Milwaukee's doing. I think it's slightly underneath the radar just because we're tired of them after they, you know, fizzled out of the playoffs the last two seasons. But I think, you know, almost not being the hunted is a good position for them to be in. Well, I think if Jokic hadn't ran away with the MVP, like I would have been the person screaming from the top of the mountain, Giannis needs to be three-time MVP. But Jokic obviously dominated towards the end, but I would have been that person like saying, look, that is the best basketball player in the world. And it's like nitpicking between him and KD and LeBron and Kawhi. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, that guy is the greatest basketball player in the world. And he's only like 26. Yeah. 
I really thought that uh, Jokic's candidacy was going to suffer when Murray went out because it was going to make his job harder and then the Nuggets record was going to be worse. And for whatever reason, we put a lot of stock into a team's record when we're counting the most valuable player. But yeah. he's just been wonderful ever since that ACL injury. Uh, I It makes me just really sad to think about what the Nuggets could have been had Murray been healthy because they were so much fun in the playoffs last year. Like I know that they lost in five to the Lakers, but that was a much closer series than you would expect from a five-game one. Uh, yeah, I, there's I a lot of really interesting things happening with Denver. I, I'm bummed that they're not going to get this time to like see what their team looks like with Porter and with Gordon before they have to make all of those very important contract decisions. Uh, but it's it's just a blast watching Jokic. Like he's probably top three player to watch in person, just because you can have like a perfect bird's eye view of the court and just have no idea where he's planning on throwing his next pass. It's it's remarkable. Yeah, and Jokic, no one understands what, how he can do the thing he does. I think Daryl Morey called it like supersized fives or like the new revolution of that, or super skilled fives of mm-hmm. the new revolution of basketball. Right, and, and people just want an Embiid. Yeah, exactly, which, you know, it's a good reason why he jumped ship from Houston to go over to Philly, but I it, people just don't understand Jokic because they're like, how can a guy who looks like a loaf of bread at seven feet tall actually be this unbelievably skilled at basketball? And he does just a little bit of everything. And I know I made the, the joke about Utah, Denver, and Dallas earlier, but that Utah-Denver playoff series last year was epic. So if yeah. we're going to sign up for another round of that, I am more than in on that. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, we wouldn't get those dueling gunslingers and Mitchell and Murray but hey Jokic is more than up for the challenge yeah I was about to say my, my favorite game from the playoffs last year was that game two where you know, the Western Conference finals where Anthony Davis hit the buzzer beater because like the last 22 points of that game were scored by Anthony Davis and Jokic and they were just doing floaters over each other and dribble and moves one and... random Rajon Rondo three <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> And it was just, it was so much fun to have that series go down the way it did. And the Nuggets are better when Jokic just goes like super God mode, just kind of like Jamal Murray does a lot. But you can't have Jokic go super mode for 70 games and have it be okay come playoff time. So they pick and choose when Jokic goes super mode. And I think right after... I think it was like right after Murray got hurt. Didn't he have like a 49 point triple double and a 50 point game in there? Like it was right around then when Jokic started going super mode for like three or four games. Yeah. I mean, I honestly don't remember the exact box scores, but that sounds right. It's very believable. Yeah. I, I don't remember. I don't remember if the timelines lapped up on that. I might be BSing a bit there, but I know he had like a three game stretch where he averaged like 42 points a game. I was like, yeah, that's supernova Jokic. That is, it doesn't show up enough because they're better off when he gets a triple double in 14 minutes. Yeah, it's he's he's just a one of a kind. It's really so much fun to watch, and I'm glad that like even as the you know it, it seemed like we were going towards a very wing heavy <clears throat> prototype for how teams were going to be built. You know, like all of the last seven Finals MVPs are like Kawhi, Kevin Durant, and LeBron, or the guy who was guarding LeBron. And it's nice that there are still ways to build teams that don't focus exclusively on wings. Like you've got a team built around Jokic, you've got a team built around Embiid, you've got a team built around Steph still. That's still, you know, a real threat to these top seeds in the West. So it's cool to see like that amount of stylistic diversity where like some teams can 
win games when they score 120 points and you've got like the Lakers who play the Knicks and win 101 to 99, right? Like that, all of that can <laughs> exist in the same ecosystem is really cool. Yeah. The NBA has never been more diverse in that way. Cause I think everyone except like four or five teams has a top 50 player in the league right now. So everyone can cater their different style to whoever their top 50 player is, unless you're just one of the tanking teams. Like, mm-hmm. I, it's rare that there's been that kind of like diversity there, but even like, it makes sense that the league evolved the way it did, right? Like if what, when you have wing players that can get triple doubles and you have Westbrook's all over, well, what if you had Westbrook, but they were seven feet tall? Exactly. Like, of course, everyone wants one of those. And they're like, well, where can we find those? Well, here's a Carl Anthony Towns. Here's a Bam Adebayo. Here's a Nikola Jokic. Here's a, well, uh, Joel Embiid kind of does some of the stuff. He's less, he's more of a traditional big. Here's a Zion Williamson, who's just a ridiculous freak athlete. Yeah, I, I just love the the variety of things you can watch. And I know like a lot of people say like the NBA is homogenous because everyone just takes a bunch of threes, but like it just feels reductive. Like the way that they get to that is so different. Yeah, exactly. And you have, it's like a soap opera where like you have to follow each and every team to be like, here's this unique style, this unique style. And it's, it's hard for me even to keep up with like, okay, so here's how matchups would lean together. And sometimes you just go to the classic, who's going to guard this person? Who's going to guard that? But the matchups are so unique because like, if you put Denver against the Warriors, like it's just two totally different styles clashing and it just makes for awesome basketball. And then you have like the second round matchup this year, which is going to be 76ers and Heat where like both teams are created to combat each other. And then you get to see those two playing similar styles go up against each other. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, there's a lot of matchups in the playoffs that could be really interesting. I I mostly think about the West because, you know, you've got the LA teams and then these top two seeds that have worked so hard during the regular season. And like their reward is going to be the Warriors or the Lakers and, neither of them match up particularly well with the Warriors just because they play a lot of drop and Steph just eats that stuff up. And then, you know, you've got the Suns who have no way of guarding Anthony Davis. So it's, it's fascinating. Um, just the, the types of situations we could end up in because it's very much like a rock, paper, scissors kind of thing where, you know, I think the Clippers are very well suited to be the Lakers, but you know, they're not well suited at all to play against the Nets. And then like the Nets kind of struggle with the physicality of the Lakers. So it's just like whoever you run into at any particular point in the playoff uh, series could just make such a big difference on how far you advance. Yeah. And that's funny that you brought that up is just, you have the two LA teams, you have the two top two seeds who are like unproven and trying to prove themselves. And then you've also got the MVP of the league. And we have no idea what's going to end up happening in the West because of how freaky those seedings turned out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at this point it's it's pretty clear that the Lakers are going to be the seventh. Uh, that because... part, that part. Is, oh, oh, no, no, go ahead. Hello. Oh, yeah. Did did I lose? Oh yeah, we're back. Sorry, we, we some one of one side got disconnected for like ten seconds. Oh my bad. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. So like you know with with the the Western Conference, I'm pretty sure that the Lakers are going to get stuck into the plan, but it's it's kind of interesting to think about like well they the Blazers play Phoenix, you know, coming up and you'd have to think that Phoenix would much rather play Portland than the Lakers. So you, uh, you'd want to, you know, beat the Blazers just to push them down a little bit, but then Denver has like the opposite incentives where they would much rather play Portland than the other two teams in that. So like, would you deliberately lose to play the Blazers in the playoffs? And does that incur bad karma? If you deliberately lose to fix your playoff seating? Like, I don't know. 
or just not care. Because one of the ones that I remember that that made me so mad was the second year the Rockets played the Warriors, like after the 0 for 28 season where the Rockets were the four seed. Right, the one where Jimmy got hurt. Yeah, um, and the Blazers were the four seed. But I'm like, oh, the Rockets are go- or the Blazers are going to mess up and get the four seeds. That way we can watch Rockets Warriors in the conference finals. And then the Blazers had a 20 point second half comeback. I was like, oh, no, I wanted <laughs> I wanted the Rockets Warriors in the conference finals because those are the two best. And lo and behold, all of my fears came true because the Warriors beat the Rockets. And then without KD, they still swept Portland in the conference finals. Even though Portland had a lead at halftime in every single one of those games. Poor little younger brother, Seth Curry, just no chance. <laughs> no, no chance. And yeah. that's that's the pinnacle of Portland. That is the best that that team is ever going to get is getting swept out by the Warriors in the conference finals. Yeah, and it's funny because like they still keep you know, pursuing the future as if they are a conference finals worthy team, as opposed to just a team that got a lucky bracket. Mm-hmm. Um, or which is now like a second round exit team. Like they're shooting to get bounced in the second round. Exactly. I think that's like best case scenario for this particular Portland team. Yeah. I think there's a lot of teams like that now in the West, like Denver is kind of in that same case. Cause the two elite teams we both think are the two LA teams just mm-hmm. because of who their stars are. So that leaves like what Utah, Phoenix, Portland, Denver, Dallas, all shooting to make the second round. And then if a nice break in the bracket, getting to the conference finals like Denver did last year. Yeah. I mean, I could see the Warriors even mucking things up and getting into the second round with the way oh, they're yeah. <laughs> ever since no, Wiseman yeah. got hurt. Like they're just been unleashed. Yeah. That, that one I laugh at because Eric Pascal has been out too. I'm like, I, I don't know any of these dudes on the Warriors. I know Jordan Poole is like their third leading scorer, but I'm like, it's Draymond making them a top 10 defensive team. It's Wiggins who had 38 the other night. I can't believe Wiggins scored 38 in a game. Um, and then you had just dudes, just guys on the yeah. rest of that team. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, the, the way the Warriors are built, like – you know, just, just one Clay Thompson away from being another <laughs> dynastic team, I guess. I guess. Or at the very least, joining that second-round exit squad with everyone else. But yeah. still, like, Steph's carrying a team that probably should have, like, in a regular season, lost, like, 55 games, probably. Though so that it's unbelievable how good that, that – I mean, it's been fun also. Like, I don't think – Steph's probably not, like, MVP level, but, I mean, the case could be made. <laughs> like, he's up there. Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard a lot of really compelling arguments for Steph as like the second choice for MVP, and the fact that Jokic has been so durable is really the only thing pushing him forward because that offensive impact that Steph has. Like you see these pictures people post on Twitter of just like five defenders looking at Steph while the rest of the Warriors just go unattended, and like it's not even enough to stop him. No, like I do laugh at that. I'm like, they just need a PJ Tucker. They just really <laughs> need a PJ Tucker right now. <laughs> Or make it even better. How about a Clay Thompson, one of the five best shooters in the history of the sport? But <laughs> yeah, gold. I mean, if I'm Utah or Phoenix, I don't want to see the Warriors. I don't want to see that first round matchup. It's better than the Lakers, I suppose, but I don't want to see the Warriors against me in those rounds. Yeah, you're just rooting really hard for Memphis to steal that eighth seed or, you know, someone to upset them in that play in game. 
Yeah, wouldn't it just be per? It would just be perfect if the Spurs just end up making it, like just out of nowhere. That would just yeah. be perfect. <laughs> when was the last time the Spurs won a game, other than against the Kings, I guess? Well, I was about to play a game there. It's just, can you name the starting five for the Sacramento Kings in that game against the Spurs? <laughs> I can't. It's uh, it's not a starting five that really should be ever playing together outside of the last month of the season. <laughs> Would it also be strange if they were chanting Rashawn Holmes's name at the stadium? I mean, Rashawn Holmes is good. They should have traded him. Uh, I don't really know what they were trying to do with the trade deadline. Like, if they thought that they could keep all of these upcoming free agents on their team next year. But uh, Holmes could have fetched a pretty penny. Like, a team like Boston, a team like Charlotte could have really used Rashawn Holmes. Same with Harrison Barnes. I don't understand why they didn't trade him at the deadline. Yeah, I mean, Not I only that, they were buyers at the deadline. They I bought like there's at the certain deadline. value in having some adults in the room. You know, you can't just have all kids. Like the Thunder are trying it. And I mean, I guess I guess it's working, but like we're not going to know the long-term implications of how like Pokashevsky and Dort and Moses Brown and all those guys are developing. I, I do understand that like you want some guy just to like set a professional presence and that's very much a Harrison Barnes thing but you don't need like three of them like you don't also need Buddy and Rashawn so just pick yeah. one and then move Buddy, on. Buddy Heald is just a toxic situation where it's just like look he took the money and nobody wants to be there anymore but he's just no one no one wants to trade for his contract and he's actually still pretty good so they just kind of got to play him at this point so yeah that one's not great they also have Mo Harkless. I totally forgot that they had Mo Harkless. Then I remembered that they traded for him in the Bajialitsa trade and then was confused as to why they were actually playing Mo Harkless significant minutes after trading for him for for him for Bajialitsa. Yeah, I mean, that that was another <clears throat> mismanaged situation, I think, by the Sacramento front office where Bajialitsa clearly did not want to be there. And for some reason... They couldn't figure out a way to get positive value out of him, even though he's a he's a pretty good player. Didn't they get like Chris Silva or something? Or who like... has since been waived? Ah, so they got nothing. They got Mo Harkless. They got yeah, the, Mo Harkless. Who they couldn't... got the thirty nine minutes and twelve points of Mo Harkless? That's what they've got now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they were buyers at the deadline too. They gave up like three second round picks to get some backup guards like Terrence Davis and DeLon Wright. Nuts. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't. It, that one doesn't make sense. They're the new Knicks. They're the best team in the NBA, who's at, or worst team that's actively trying to win. Uh, like if you're tanking, if you're Orlando, you reckon Orlando's amazing too because they've been riding that Dwight Howard pick for 20 years now, and they're trying to do it again this year. Yeah, at least they made the playoffs a few years in a row. You know, I get it. It's the Eastern Conference. Like you have more opportunities there because of the general sucktitude at the bottom of the East, but. It's a lot easier to sell the plan when you're at least getting to the playoffs and winning that game one, you know? <laughs> or you can always have that 2017, 2000, or no, wait, 2018, 2019 Southeast Division banner in your practice facility because as the seventh seed, they won the division and they got to hang a banner. It was one of the saddest things that I've seen. That is incredible. I had no idea that they did that. <laughs> yeah. So as the seventh seed, they won the Southeast Division and Terrence Ross posted a photo of them putting up the 2018 19 division banner in their practice facility. <laughs> So you got that out of your Nikola Yoke or Nikola Vukovic trade for Dwight Howard because he came over in the Howard trade and then they he was there seven years and now they're trying to flip Vucevic for another top pick and get one of those like top four in the draft. So they are still technically riding the wave of Dwight Howard. 
20 years later of that one magical lottery where they got the top pick. And you know, you, you got to make good use of your top picks because they are legitimately franchise-changing decisions. Yes. Sometimes you draft Mario Hizonia, and sometimes you draft Aaron Gordon. That's just kind of how it works for these bad franchises. Is You're going to hit on some, you're going to miss on some, and sometimes you're going to end up with Mo Bamba. <laughs> oh, man, that is, that is a tough string of luck. <laughs> yeah. They, sometimes you're going to draft Jonathan Isaac. Sometimes you're going to draft Alfred Payton over – gosh, they, I think they took Alfred Payton over – what or maybe I'm thinking of Dante Exum. They were both in a similar draft, but they I one of them got taken over Julius Randall and Marcus Smart. That was uh like the next two picks. That might have been Dante Exum. That was Aaron Gordon, it. yeah. Oh yeah, they took Aaron Gordon over both those guys. Which I guess it, it turned out all right. RJ Hampton looks pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. It's something. And they're just yeah, Orlando's I don't know why we're spending so much time on Orlando, but they're just they're Orlando is a fascinating exercise in NBA team building. Um no, I agree. Go in like a thousand different directions. Like I'm irrationally obsessed with Chumo Okike. He's just a really fun player to watch. Um they're they've kind of, you know, we talked about like how the league is prioritizing shooting and Orlando's just like, nah. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Yeah, we're good. We're just going to have an ISO wing player and just, you know, Markel Fultz hanging out at the top of the key. Absolutely. Yeah. Then they did do it right. If you're going to do a rebuild, do it exactly the way Orlando did, which is trade every single player on your roster in 38 minutes. That's the way to do it if you're going to rebuild. <laughs> and just Terrence Ross hanging out, having a good time on Twitter as the whole franchise is burning down. Yeah, pretty much. There's, I don't know if you know anything about baseball, but the Pittsburgh Pirates have something like that, where this one guy named Gregory Polanco is just kind of hanging out. They've traded all his friends, just kind of hanging out on a <laughs> <terrible> team. <laughs> just picking grass and just hanging out. That's kind of what Terrence Ross is right now. Just kind of hanging out there. Just, we're going to lose a lot of games, but that's okay. I get to be the, I get to be the Rashawn Holmes of the Orlando Magic, where people will chant my name at the arena. It's a bleak situation. Yeah, but you know what? They might get Evan Mobley and things start turning around for them. (laughs) Let's see. Who else is in this terrible roster? (laughs) I like Wendell Carter Jr. Um, Yeah. Wendell Carter Jr. is... He's discount Vucevic. (laughs) Yeah, I don't care much for Cole Anthony... Um, but I like Fultz. Yeah, they went from having no point guards to having a ton of point guards now. Yeah, all of them who still can't shoot, though. So yeah, <laughs> it's kind of weird how that worked. Magic out. fashion. <laughs> kind of weird how that worked out for them. They just really love point guards that can't shoot. They love traditional point guards, but not the good traditional point guards. <laughs> Oh my God, Orlando is. Or, you're right. You hit it on the head. You said Orlando is a fascinating experiment in roster construction and like team building. In the next three years, they're going to be terrible. But you're going to hit on some. You're going to miss on some. Sometimes it's a Hazonia, and sometimes it's a Mobamba. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming on for close to an hour here. That's a really fun podcast. So. Hey, you know, um, I love just, uh, you know, diving across the standings and seeing what interests me about the NBA. <laughs> yeah, of course. There's no better time than right now because we have the fun play-in tournament next week. So 
if something crazy happens, we shall reconvene again here. (laughs) (laughs) So check out Sabrina over at SB Nation for the Clippers, Lakers, the Kings. Uh, I forgot if there's an oh LA Sparks. Any actually any you got like any WNBA information off the bat? I know that season starts this week. Yeah, well, um, we're recording this on Thursday. The the roster cutdown date for the WNBA is at 2 p.m. Pacific today. So we're just getting a flood of news about who's making the final rosters for the league, which is always a annual reminder of the fact that we need expansion because these are first round picks within the last two drafts that are being cut because there is no room to keep them on rosters. How many teams are there now? Isn't it only like 16, I want to say? 12, okay. Because I I know that they kind of like did away with conferences, and I thought that that was a cool idea. So, yeah, yeah, that would be a godsend, frankly. That would just be delightful. Let's let's throw up a team in Portland. You know, let's get one in Louisville, maybe. Um, Ooh, that would be cool. Where else would I like a team? Toronto has expressed some interest. And Would one of these teams that lost a city, like lost a team a few yeah, years ago, yeah, let's get Houston one? back one or Sacramento. You know the Monarchs. Yeah, the Monarchs were a while ago. Like I saw that banner at the the arena at the Golden One. I was like, they had a WNBA team, and I looked it up. I'm like, oh, that was a lot. That was when Monarchs I was a child. Are one of the only franchises to win a WNBA title. So yeah, and something to keep that in mind. Was a long time ago. <laughs> It, wasn't there a team in Tulsa at one point too? There was. That is currently in Dallas, which I think is a better market. Uh, so, you know, probably good to them. Probably. <laughs> <laughs>